This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. whatever time of day it is to you beautiful people it is so good to be back on the mic welcome to another episode of the do not listen to this podcast i am your host sam lacrosse can you dig it i can it is wonderful as i just said to be back with everybody this is my first episode that i am recording post thanksgiving i did a bunch in batches before i can't believe i, I like honestly i recorded like so many podcasts and everything else before i left i live in austin texas obviously and then i moved all right moved i went i flew back home for thanksgiving for the thanksgiving holiday I hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know it's kind of late at this point, and you're probably looking forward to Hanukkah, Christmas, whatever holidays you celebrate at this time of the year, whatever you guys But I am more leaning towards that at this point because this is coming out, I believe, two, yeah, two weeks before. Well, actually, no. It's coming out a week before Christmas on the day, actually, because Christmas is on a Sunday this year. So... It's interesting to kind of do these things because at the end of the year, I'm kind of getting more of a formula of how this is going to work. So at the end of the year, it's usually just kind of a recap of what I've learned, some potential lessons that I have incorporated in my life, trying to incorporate in my life. And for the fun part, it's the recap of the books that I read in the year 2022 and the end of every year that I love to just kind of formulate and <clears throat> excuse me, curate for you guys to give what I believe are some good books to start out 2023 with and whatever the next year is going forward with. Now, these are all subjective. There are a lot of them have my personal values in line with them, but I do think that they are overall very, very, they have a point of view, obviously, but they have a very, very good and cohesive look at a lot of things that I think are very, very pressing and very interesting. And in fact, the top book on this list is going to be what I'm going to be starting my new amazingly exciting series that I'm going to be starting January 2023 off starting in the new year. So with that being said, I look forward to these posts very much because I love reading. I love books. I write books. I'm a fan of books. So these are what I deemed the best books I read in 2022. And without further ado, let's get it finished off with a bang and let's get started off 2023 with some of these. If you haven't read them, I recommend you read them. So let's get into it. So as I mentioned in my previous post, 2022 was a great year for me, and I sincerely hope that it was for you as well. One of the main factors in what makes a year great for me is whether I learned a lot or not. One of the main factors in my ability to learn a lot is the quality of books that I read. And thankfully in 2022, like in the past years, a lot of books fit that category. I would consider my hit rate pretty good and about 50% enjoyment for the books that I've read. I still attempt to get it better, which I'm evaluating with my book test formula that I develop as I formulate my, re my reading strategy. 
I find that basically if the book is A, something that I'm interested in, and B, something that is relevant for something I'm either experiencing or working on, it usually has a net positive effect on my life. And all six of these books below, six, not five, we'll get to that in a second, had that effect in spades, and I can't recommend them highly enough. In total, I read 40 books in 2022. They mostly focused in areas related to the two above, things I were interested in, things that were relevant or that I'm working on, which helps explain my high hit rate that I was fortunate enough to experience. I had a goal of reading one book every 10 days, which equates to roughly 37 books. It was more than a book every two weeks I did in 2021 and, one, and less than the one book every week I read in 2020. And in 2023, I'm going to be trying the 2020 initiative again because the message to me is clear. When I read more, I do better. When I don't, I do worse. But I also failed miserably on my objective I put last year at the end of 2021 to read more classical and history-based material. And the reasons for this are plentiful, but I'm, and I'm, but I'm happy about it, mostly because I pivoted towards the research-based inspiration for my other creative projects. And I think it was a wise pivot due to the fact that my next big thing is going to be really, really good. Further, my next, next big thing and my next, next, next big thing are also going to be very good, at least I think. So with that being said, I plan to read a lot of topics in 2023 that center around creativity, narcissism, psychology of the self, and religion. It'll make sense eventually, I promise. These puzzle pieces, God willing, will eventually form a clear picture about where I intend to go. I think the biggest common trend between all of these books in this list was the perspective they gave me on the world at large. They were all massive in scale in what they were attempting to portray, and that ambition that these books contained was very admirable and wide-ranging, and something that I hope to do with my own books and other creative endeavors as I move into 2023. Neither perspective was exactly the same, which always helps in delivering a very cohesive and human experience on the various topics of trust. Books are wonderful things for two primary reasons. They empower and inspire you through knowledge. The most intimate way one can know someone or something is through insight into their own mind. Even though there is such a thing as a dumb person, there is no such thing as an invaluable person. Whether that person is Einstein or a crackhead, everyone can teach you something about the world. Everyone can help define their own opinions, values, and voices. So, that being said, let's get to, in, into the, fest, the five best books that help strengthen my, and hopefully your, opinions, values, and voice in 2022, and hopefully, if you haven't read them, in 2023. Honorable Mention, Will, by Will Smith and Mark Manson. I had heard next to nothing about Will Smith's life before I purchased this book. The person I had heard of, however, was his co-author, Mark Manson, who remains to this day my primary inspiration as an author and creator. Will Smith was very particular, understandably so, about who he picked to help tell the story of his life. He chose well with Manson, who spent close to three years taking a break from his own personal creative projects to help tell the story of who may have said is the last, who many have said, rather, is the last great leading man in the history of Hollywood. And the result was frantic, or I would say point blank, amazing. Me, who had hardly watched any of Smith's movies or television shows, was absolutely blown away. I had little to no idea about the truly extraordinary life that Will Smith has lived. He's perhaps one of the most talented individuals I've ever heard about. He's incredibly successful in business. He's wonderfully gifted with connecting to anyone, no matter who they are and what circumstances they came from. He was remarkably vulnerable and open with his life, and spared little to no details about how he got to the point he got to. As the first book I started 2022 off with, it was a high bar, one that I was not sure that I would surpass as I went further through my schedule. Will inspired me a tremendous amount. He truly was just a typical guy from West Philadelphia who had made himself into one of the greatest pop culture icons of all time. I was stunned by how relatable he was, how he and Manson were able to shape such an alien of a human being into a mere earthling like the rest of us. The title of the book, other than being Smith's name, was chosen and meant for the definition of the word itself. 
It was meant to show Smith's grit, determination, and toughness, his ability to persevere through difficulty to extreme, achieve extraordinary things. So with that said, you may be asking, why is this book your honorable mention and not in your top five? And the reason is because the naming of the book title by Manson and Smith is inaccurate. Will Smith, as it turns out, does not have, quote, will, at least in the situations where it matters the most. The slap, the now most infamous pop culture moment of our time, undid everything that Will Smith meant to portray in the book. It was all based on a lie. He had everything in order except for the things he should have had in order, namely his home life, the most important thing a man can have domain over. This may be a harsh criticism, but I'm of the firm belief that great people need to be held to great standards. Will Smith is no exception to that. I've seen enough during and after to know what he's about. Will Smith may be a willful person, willful person in business and career, but he is certainly not so when it comes to things like his children, his family, and his reputation. One incident should not define any person, and neither should this, but to not question it would, be, would make for an equally, if not more grave, error. Number five. The Boy Crisis by Dr. Warren Farrell. This book broke me in so many different ways. There were so many stories that could have had books of their own. There were so many citations I didn't want to read through because of my denial of them being real. There were so many broken people that didn't get nearly enough time that they deserved. The way it broke me most, however, was that all of those issues centered around a certain single demographic of people, American boys. In one of the great cultural injustices of our time, we've left our young men grasping at straws to fend for themselves. It has worked out horribly, as shown by the research done by Drs. Warren Farrell and John Gray, his assistant. This groundbreaking work, the only literature I've ever seen to do a comprehensive look on the state of the future of America's manhood, provides insights on how we got there, where we are, and where we need to go to help them. Going all the way from father absence to the reasons why only boys seem to shoot up schools, Farrell paints the picture of a true hero attempting to serve those that greatly depend on him and all of us. The lack of successful boys and men in America is one of the great stains of our current cultural moment, just as it would be if girls and women were in the same situation, which they are not. This book serves as a compassionate portrayal as to why we cannot turn a blind eye to any injustice, no matter who it affects and why it does so, so drastically. Boys are people too. They deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. Through the lies that our culture has told people about men and their inherent, quote, evil nature, We've done a remarkable job at destroying a great number of the men that could have contributed to the success of so many should they have been treated with enough dignity to do so. To fix the culture, we would do well to revive the masculine ethos in those that will inherit both it and the future. Young boys. They need help, and we should give it. Warren Farrell is a hero to me, and so many others, because he chose to not only look away from, or to not look away, excuse me, from a very complex and difficult problem to solve. He has a remarkably difficult job dealing with a very broken and misguided group of the population who feels like they have no hope to improve. Sometimes, especially when dealing with human beings, showing those human beings that things can get better is the most compassionate thing one can do to begin the healing process. This book is a work of grit, which is why it both heals and hurts so much. Number four. The Case Against the Sexual Revolution by Louise Perry. Louise Perry is a remarkably brave person. 
One of the bravest things a human being can do is go against the grain of the culture that once embraced you for not the act of simple contrarianism, or for not the act of simple contrarianism, but for the act of believing and doing what is right. Louise Perry, a New Age feminist who has dedicated her life to defending and protecting women and their rights, decided to do what's right by challenging a belief held by the group that she had once so oftenly and blindly defended. In this incredibly important work, Perry tells the story of the results of a once-heralded social movement in those caught in its wake the sexual revolution, and the women it brainwashed. Her diagnosis? It failed, and it failed miserably. However, Perry also points out a stunningly true revelation about the sexual revolution that almost no one had the gall to point out. Rather than empowering women, it has made them slaves to a new patriarchal force, one that has deceived women into participating in it by degrading their femininity to serve at the altar of men. Contrary to popular belief, removing sexual norms for society to, quote, free women from what it had traditionally provided them both emotional and physical solace has done the exact opposite. It has opened women up to violence, broken their hearts and minds, and shattered what was once their most sacred element of their collective being, their beauty and sexuality. Now, in modern times, with untold number of porn stars turned prostitutes, leaked nude photographs, and broken emotional states over the eternally low bar of consent, Women have been culturally damaged from the lie that falsely promised to provide them an escape. Because no matter how much we can attempt to deny it, women are different from men. They need different things, particularly when it comes to romance and sex. Women should be allowed and granted to have those different things. Their needs should be respected too, not completely removed from having to conform to the male ideal of how things should work. It's unjust, unfair, and incredibly wrong to do, particularly when it makes up a large percentage of the population as big as 50%. Women do deserve to have choices, but they also deserve to have choices that benefit them. The sexual revolution and its results are clear. They have not done so. Perry's point is not to shackle women to the past, to force them into a situation where they will be forced to relive all their past injustices and sins committed against them. Rather, it is to show them that there is another way to be a woman, the way that has come before, but without all that has harmed them. It is a brave trek forward and backward a noble way of futurism that people are afraid of being true, mostly because they have the most to gain when women lose. We should reject this wholesale and support people like Perry who are brave enough to tell the truth in doing so. Number three, The Great Reset by Glenn Beck. If you ever wanted to write a story of a perfect global conspiracy, you couldn't do much better than The Great Reset. The Great Reset, a stated objective by the World Economic Forum to use the atrocity and horror of the COVID pandemic and its equally horrific fallout as the great catalyst to start a plot for world domination, is the way these strange people have talked about doing it. It's the most obscurely obvious goal that no one in the mainstream culture seems willing to discuss. You're called mean names in the news and banned from Twitter should you dig into it further. Glenn Beck, however, chose to look into what compromises what could be the greatest power transfer in the history of the world. His diagnosis, understandably so, is something that we all should pay very close and frightening attention to. In looking through their use of bizarre and corporate language to disguise things like modern climate activism and monetary theory, Beck points out the obvious of what, if granted total power over our economies and governance, our power-hungry elites will do to us. It goes far beyond, you'll own nothing and be happy, and parents shouldn't be telling teachers what they should do in school. What the Great Reset really means, no matter how far off it is or not, is a complete and total disenfranchisement of ordinary people around the world in favor of a cabal of global elites. Because globalism, you see, is not simply an economic principle. It's a cultural principle. 
it's not just outsourcing manufacturing to China or having poor Chinese kids make your hoodies. It's a complete removal of shared values and outsourcing them to people who have nothing to do with who you are, what you stand for, where you live, or how, you, how, how, or how what they say about any of these things will affect them. People having no context for their decision-making is a good sign they should not be making decisions about that particular thing. Sadly, as seen with what the Great Reset has the potential to do, all of the pathways have been greased for this exact same thing to take place. And it is this what we should fear the most. The removal of our basic freedoms to choose how we live in favor of a utopianist ideal of people who, quote, know better. Here's a newsflash, but a very basic but of effective defense for anything remotely in favor of this. They don't. You do. You know what you value. You know what is important to you. You know how you should run your life and those impacted by it. You know what your community needs. You do, not them. What Beck provides in this book is not simply an inside look into an incredibly scary social phenomenon that has been recently exposed. Rather, it is a choice. That choice, between that of personal agency or globalist tyranny into the lives of all, is one that will be the defining struggle of the days of our culture going forward. This book shows that our choices matter a lot, much more often than we give them credit for. We would do well to treat them with the importance and urgency that they deserve in governing ourselves, our loved ones, and our futures. Number two, The Dying Citizen by Victor Davis Hanson. If the Great Reset has to do with the global disenfranchisement of everyday people, The Dying Citizen, the latest work from the incredibly intelligent and great Victor Davis Hanson, handles the issue of the domestic disenfranchisement of everyday people. Citing the primary reasons of elites, globalization, and tribalism, Hanson tells the story of a country's most perplexing issue, why citizens of a country no longer feel like citizens of that country, and, moreover, what happens to those, quote, post-citizens, as Hanson describes them, when they're completely severed from their national identity, ethos, and origin. This book, the one that answers that question, shows how Americans have been crowded out from the promises that they were told in their founding documents, how their basic rights can be protected, how they deserve to pursue happiness and meaning, and how we must treat one another to preserve those freedoms, happiness, and meaning. Unfortunately, as Hansen explains, those American dreams, once held so sacred by so many, have been pimped out at the expense of the very people that need them so desperately. They are now, unfortunately, just as the name presents, dreams. Each of these problems, however, has a common source, Americans themselves. Americans, you see, do not value being Americans anymore, and not nearly enough as they used to. When you open your own door to abuse, don't be surprised if you end up being abused. Due to American citizens not valuing things like their voting rights, their borders, and their ability to coexist with their individual and group identities, we've allowed other people to exploit our democracy and force it to pivot from its purpose, supporting a common citizenry defined by common things. Western anti-Westernism, which we'll get to in the book that claims the top slot on this list, is the reason that people have had the license to support Americans. A forsaking of our common and shared founding values is the reason why so many people have problems in a society that is held together by seemingly less and less every day. When a country does not have a reason to stay together, it does not usually stay together. We fought a pretty bloody civil war over it about 150 years ago. It may not seem long, but it may seem long, excuse me, but it's not. We've seen several uprisings sprinkled throughout the world this year. To forsake the idea of one happening in America is a very dangerous and very foolish proposition. To save something, you must first value that something. When Americans begin to value America, 
we can begin the path to saving it. But until then, we can expect more decay to keep rotting away the thing that we do all share, our country. And with a sickness that deeply embedded in a country's foundation, it is one that is incredibly difficult to cure indeed. Number one, The War on the West by Douglas Murray. Douglas Murray fits the, stri- the same description that Louise Perry does, that of an extremely brave person. Before I knew about Murray, and before he claimed the top spot on my book list for two years in a row, Jordan Peterson complimented him as one of the most extraordinarily courageous people he'd ever met in his life. When someone like that pays that you that type of a compliment, you would do yourself a favor to pay attention to see if it's true. And as someone who now gives Murray the same compliment as Peterson on a very regular basis, I can say that everything about it is true. Murray's previous book, The Madness of Crowds, dealt with a difficult topic, the Leviathan of identity politics. In an era that was becoming more and more defined by the uncontrollable, Murray was one of the few that stepped up and told the truth. You were defined by your individual characteristics, not by a group. Any act to use the group to subvert the autonomy of the individual was a very gross injustice towards that individual person. Forgiveness and respect were, and are still, the keys to treating people as they were meant to be treated. With the war on the West, however, a different conversation emerged. A self-hatred towards oneself that was shutting down all reasonable discussion of pride in who we are as people. While pride is the root of all evil in most of the world, a complete lack of it when towards things that are righteous and good is a mistake that leads to the death of culture. And in the West, it led to a lot of uncomfortable conversations being unearthed. One that Murray that made Murray, excuse me, something that he has been comfortable being, a target. The complete dissolution of any Western identity, containing things such as anti-white racism, a bipartisanism lost for the or lust, excuse me, for the destruction of our collective government and social institutions, and a bloodthirsty appetite for revenge for anyone who wrongs us, Murray unveiled a very perplexing and interesting threat to society, one that threatens to send us into chaos and anarchy should it not be attended to, one that has a name but not one that many know. This is a deeply important work, perhaps the most important done in a long time. But to get that name, you need to turn into the first post of the new year, which will debut on January 1st, 2023. I loved all these books, and I think you will too. But until then, have a safe, happy new year. Or in the words of Douglas Murray and Nicki Minaj, at least have a fun one. Okay, guys, that is the last... Post for 2022, last podcast or original podcast for 2022. We have a very exciting conversation series coming up next week for you that will debut on Christmas morning. So please keep a lookout for that. Obviously, you know, put my podcast in the back burner because obviously there's presents to open and people to love and, you know, Jesus to celebrate, all that kind of stuff if you're into that kind of thing. So until then, Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. I look forward to seeing you guys in 2023. Thank you so much for tuning in, as always, for listening to me, to supporting to me. It means the world. It always does. It always will. And until 2023, own the day. Open your mind. Thanks for listening. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit and I think it well. How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight? <laughs>